Wine, food, talk. NapaBroadcasting.com. Welcome to NapaBroadcasting.com. Most of you know that it's always tough to start a new job, but imagine starting two at the same time. That's what our guest today, Joelle Gallagher, did recently as she became the newest member of the Napa County Planning Commission and moved from her longtime job leading Cope Family Center to running First Five California here in Napa. It's my pleasure to welcome Joelle Gallagher here to Napa Broadcasting. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you, Jeff. I'm happy to be here. Starting two jobs at the same time. (laughs) Everybody does that. Not. Well, I'm a glutton for punishment, so... Talk a little bit, before we get to the politics of it all and the Planning Commission and everything else, talk a little bit about the move from COPE to First Five. Okay. I would be happy to. Um, I was at COPE for 16 years and, uh, you know, loved and still love COPE dearly. Um, it has a very a special place in my heart. Uh, we did a lot of great work there, built the agency, um, grew the agency quite a bit, um, doubled our facility, um, capacity, um, started a couple of, um, evidence-based programs that we hadn't been doing before. And so, um, I felt like it was time for me to do something new. Um, and I had built a great team and it was always my, um, ambition to go out at the top, so to speak. I wanted to leave it in really good hands, um, at, at a place where I felt, um, it was in, uh, a really, uh, a good place and a sustainable um, place, and so I was able to do that. And I'm I'm happy to make the move. It gives me an opportunity to do more for kids and families in our community, especially um, around policy and working with California First Five California at the state level. And so it's just I think kind of a natural evolution for me, and um, I'm excited. I'm also excited about. Um, what's new for COPE. Um, Michelle Gruppi took over there as the executive director. She was the associate director for uh, many, many years. Many years. And uh, so they're in great hands. They have an awesome team and they'll just keep moving forward and growing and doing great things, I'm sure. Was any part of the decision to move from COPE to First Five, did any of that had to have to do with you going on to the planning commission and concerns about conflict of interest? Um. Not really. I mean, that, you know, it was those were decisions made um, separate from each other. Uh, I, you know, I knew that I wanted to do something more in terms of uh, what I was doing for kids and families, but I had to look for an opportunity. Um, I was looking at maybe doing something at the state level, but then, you know, frankly, I didn't really want to commute. <laughs> so when um, there, there was an opportunity to actually do something locally, I really wanted to take that opportunity. It happened to coincide with when I got appointed to the planning commission. Um, discussions about um, the planning commission and my interest in the planning commission went back a lot further. Um, you know, those things don't kind of happen overnight. So um, the appointment happened to occur right around the same time as I was um, interviewing for the job for First Five. Um, But I think that ultimately, I feel like um, I'm a little bit more comfortable in the position I'm in now, as opposed to being at COPE, just because, um, you know, COPE does uh, do a lot of fundraising and receives a lot lot of of money from the wine industry. uh, From uh, you know, from mostly from the wine auction. Mm -hmm. Um, but some individual vintners of course are very generous. So it, you know, I don't have to be in a, in a tough spot that way. Mm -hmm. So I think ultimately it, it works, 
um, in my favor in terms of helping me to be, um, you know, non-conflicted, if you will. Mm -hmm. So, why did you want to be on the planning commission? I mean, it, it Gee, harken, everybody keeps asking. Well, that it, same it, hark, it harkens back <laughs> to some of the work that you did and some of the issues that you were involved in back when you were uh, at the Farm Bureau. Yeah, it does. Um, in some ways, I think, what am I crazy to get back into this? <laughs> <laughs> Especially because, um, you know, it's always um, a, a place where there's a lot of contention and, and, um, um, you know, everybody's not always on the same side of the issues in terms of, uh, you know, uh, winery development, et cetera. So, um, but I've always been really interested in land use and I see that there's a nexus between land use and what happens in our county and the overall health of the county and the health of the community. So I'm very, very interested in the health of the community. Um, not not just the economic health, but health of individuals, environmental health. Um, this being a sustainable, um, healthy place for people to live, for people to raise their families. Um, you know, we have lots of issues to deal with around housing and jobs, housing and balance. And while those may be <clears throat> city issues, um, you know, I think it's going to take the entire community, both the county and the cities, to uh, really address those issues. And so I think there is a role for the county to play, for sure. And, um, you know, so I guess my interest in the overall health of the community and land use and um, just more of my experience being toward, you know, county planning than rather than city planning Um just seemed to kind of all dove dovetail mm -hmm. together. So it seemed like an interesting opportunity. Talk about the ways in which you see that nexus between sustainability and land use issues and the health of the county as you talk about it. Well, I mean, I think the most obvious is the environment. So that delicate balancing act between um, development and making sure that the environment can support the support development and and not be degraded in any way um i think that also um, issues around housing are really really critical when we look at what is happening in um in our ag land you know we have to be really careful about what we do because we need to assure that we do what we need to such that housing goes into cities near services where it needs to be and that we're really protecting ag land for ag uses. And I think that the planning commission plays a really large role in making sure that we, you know, hold to our general plan and that we, um, you know, that we are careful about balancing the various and sometimes competing needs in our in our unincorporated area. Um, I don't have the answers necessarily. I don't know what that necessarily looks like. We have to deal with it on something of a case-by-case -case basis. But I think never forgetting how important it is that we protect ag, that we make sure that land is available to, um, to farm um, is really critical. And I just see that as part of, of an overall healthy community. One of the issues certainly that the county is dealing with now when you talk about ag is is how we define that, mm -hmm. how agriculture is going to be defined going forward. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think it's a it's a big question. It's something that has um, certainly many, many people have weighed in on. Um, you know, there were all the APAC discussions, which I frankly was not privy to and was not involved at that time. Um, for me, you know, I guess I'm kind of old fashioned in that ag is ag to me. Ag is um, growing crops and um, processing facilities, i.e. wineries. Um, and, you know, that's what I think ag is. I think that um, that the marketing piece of it has um, a part to play, of course, because there is um, the need to market products to consumers. And uh, we have said that, that that is something that we will do in our ag zones. I mean, people don't do that all over the world. It's not this, you know, land use is not the same everywhere. Um, but that is something we have said in Napa Valley that we will allow. Um, for me, it's important that those marketing activities are, um, as our zoning states or our, 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 our rules say, it needs to be um, accessory to or um, subordinate to uh, the ag uh, production and uh, processing on the any given uh, parcel. So I think that where we struggle is, you know, what does that really mean? What does subordinate really mean? And, and where does, where do you cross the line? The other, the other component in that is the, the degree to which the business and the marketing component continues to change. Mm-hmm. That the marketing game is upped and up by stuff that people are doing. And so everybody has to be competitive. Mm-hmm. And the distribution side poses a whole bunch of other opportunities and challenges. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, we hear, of course, a lot about direct-to-consumer marketing and that that is the way to go. And um, we hear those comparisons. Well, you know, everybody just goes online and buys what they need. There's no middleman anymore. You just order something. It's to you in two days. Or, you know, you're just um, directly dealing with the person selling the product or creating the product, for example. Um, I think what's a little bit different here is that it's not, as simple as that, you're actually also trying to um, protect land in, at the same time and deal with things like, um, you know, people and communities who are living in these areas and driving and traffic and um, access to uh, water and just, you know, there are so many layers and so many different issues that come into play. It's not, it's not cut and dried. It's not just like, oh, I, here's a, you know, here's a bottle of wine and I'm going to sell it to you at my winery. I mean, there are lots of other things that come into play and it makes it, um, it makes it a lot more difficult and a lot more complex. I think that people um, think that it's relatively easy to make those decisions about, you know, what we, what we do um, in different parts of the County, but it's not easy at all. I mean, I guess the question is, are we being too precious about it in some ways? <laughs> I mean, you talk about the impact on communities and on people. In, in some ways, while it's a whole different set of issues mm-hmm. with respect to agriculture, it's no different than what we're seeing in so many other places of the country being hollowed out because, you know, a retail mall that might have existed somewhere is closed. I mean, the malls are right. closing faster, you know, probably too closed since we've been doing this. Because people are buying things online and right. you know, interacting in different ways. And those have profound impacts on people and communities and, and, and yes. everything else in different ways than here. But the disruption that's at the heart of it 
is really fundamentally the same. Yeah, that's that's really true. Um, well, I think it's, you know, that's why I think it's important that we have those discussions and we talk about, you know, how we're defining um, the business and what, what we're doing here um, in a way that allows us to create policies that make sense. Um, you know, it's, it's still um, a balancing act. If, uh, you know, if we didn't have wine grapes, we'd probably have homes. Mm-hmm. So, but does that mean we should have a winery on every square inch? Probably not. So, you know, it, it's still a balancing act. I think um, you can always make the argument that um, it's, of course, better to have um, agriculture and wineries and, um, and the like rather than um, a bedroom community out in the middle of the egg preserve. I mean, talk about impacts. You'd have, you know, just astounding impacts. We'd look like, you know, Silicon Valley by now, frankly, if we didn't have the protections that we have. So we have done a great job. But as we go forward, I mean, land is finite. Land doesn't um, go on forever. And, you know, especially um, those prime agricultural lands in our in our county where we grow grapes, um, they, they are actually finite. Uh, so as we continue to grow, we have to still struggle with those issues of when's and when is too much too much. I don't know the answer to that, but I think everybody is sort of wondering, talk will about, there, will there come a time? Right. Talk about, well, to that point, talk about how you think things have changed in the period of time that you have been ostensibly away from these issues. I mean, you were at the Farm Bureau during a pretty controversial period, Mm -hmm. and then you went uh, to COPE, and you were there a long time, and now you're back in this, but 13 years have gone by. Talk about how you see these issues having changed or not changed in that period of time. Well, I think that the public is a lot more active than it used to be. I think that in the past, the people that you would see at the planning commission and at the board of supervisors were um, sort of the usual suspects. You would see um, Sierra Club, Get a Grip on Growth, uh, Farm Bureau, Grape Growers Association, Bittners. They're still there, but now they're They're just older and they have to stagger up to the podium. (laughs) Well, that's true, but you also see more members of the public, I think, um, who aren't necessarily affiliated with any of those groups coming out and speaking and having concerns about, um, you know, how we're developing and what we're doing. Um, I think that, you know, with the advent of social media and Facebook, you see people having these discussions online. Um, people are talking about it. They're going to public meetings more. Um, they're speaking up, they're having conversations with each other. Um, so that's a little bit different. Um, Except that, that in, to some extent, a lot of times when you see members of the public there, it's they're there because there's something that you're debating, the planning commission or the board, that is in their neighborhood or in their sphere yeah. of impact. That, that's number one. And the other, the other part of it is that oftentimes you would expect that if there was disenchantment or, or anger or issues with some of these things, it might reflect itself in local elections. And in fact, that has not been the case at all. No, it hasn't, which I always find very interesting. Which people, means people are happy. <laughs> people, well, sometimes people are happy and sometimes they're not paying attention. So um, it can be both. 
I think some people are happy and some people don't pay attention and they wonder why things happen and you remind them, well, you need to look at who we're electing. If you don't like the policies, then you need to elect new people. But, you know, I think they're either apathetic or they're, they're happy or apathetic, I guess. <laughs> well, but, but the other part of the equation, you, you touched on it before, is the economic impact of all this and the economic mm-hmm. sustainability and the effect it has on people's livelihood and their jobs. And, their work. and that's pretty positive around these parts. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it is definitely positive, um, but I think something we don't talk a lot about is that there are a lot of people who live in poverty, and, um, you know, uh, there are lots of uh, low-wage jobs in our community, and people don't uh, necessarily make a living wage. Uh, Housing is very expensive. People can't afford to live here. They commute, or they live three families in one home. That's not he- that's not a healthy community in my my mind. I think that um, you know we can say we're a truly healthy community when everybody here lives in a safe and healthy environment, in an in an environment that's not overcrowded. When they have enough to eat and they make enough money to take care of their basic needs, then I think we can say we have a healthy community. Um, the other, to go back to your earlier point about how things have changed, I think also, um, you know, the uh, the way that the language has changed, the and, and I don't know if I'm talking about general plan language or, or zoning language, but um, around marketing activities, you know, that changed in 2008. Um, more liberal in terms of the the marketing activities on Agland, um, I think that that definitely um, spurred a change. I think back in the old days when I was with Farm Bureau, um, the kind of marketing activities and the kind of um, uh, things that were happening at wineries uh, were different. Um, that there's a lot more going on now. There's a right. lot more events. There's a lot more, Absolutely. you know, people more direct and things consumer. going on. And but also, if you look, everything. Right. If you looked at the number of distributors that there were back when, when you yeah. were at the farm, you know, that period of time when you were at the Farm Bureau versus now, I mean, that tells you a lot. Yeah. So the way the business has changed has definitely changed, um, you know, the way that, that things are set up. But um, But that has an impact on... Uh, what we see, literally see and feel in in the community in the unincorporated area. So, I, I think that's why, um, you know, tensions run high many times at these meetings because people who want to preserve their rural way of life versus the winery that wants to bring in you know a hundred more people per day to visit, you know, the, those uh, um, goals are not always aligned very well. So you're going to have, you're going to have problems in, in a particular neighborhood um, because people are, you know, they want different things. You were talking about the poverty in the community a few minutes ago. In your experience, and you've looked at this a lot with your copad on, obviously, this is more of, I mean, certainly it's a problem in this community, but it's more of a regional problem mm-hmm. in terms of the Bay Area. And when we look at solutions to it, I mean, we really, it seems that we need to be looking at it with, with a larger vision. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. I think that we need to be looking at it um, 
as a region and we need to be looking at it um, with an eye toward um, creativity and also really looking at other communities and what they have done that has worked. Um, I think there is some movement in our community, definitely. I mean, I'm very excited about the board, um, you know, the board of supervisors and the old Sonoma Road project. I think that's wonderful. I think it's very um, forward thinking of them to say this needs to be housing and we're going to make sure it is. I think they're absolutely right. Um, if that's what needs to happen and they're going in that direction. Um, I'd like to see more from the city. I think that the city, um, it's a little bit um, late to the game in terms of dealing with um, housing, especially housing that's affordable. Um, I think we've talked about it forever, but it, we have to be doing something. Um, it took a long time for the city to raise fees. Um, I remember in 2008, I think I went to a city council meeting and um, spoke on behalf of uh, putting a living wage um, clause in a development agreement for, I believe it was the Ritz-Carlton maybe at the time. Mm-hmm. It was a hotel, a big hotel at the right. time. And, you know, they, they didn't do it. They still haven't done that. Uh, so now how we're, how many years later, how many hotels later, um, if we had had living wage ordinances, you know, um, or that kind of language put into those development agreements like other cities do, um, we would have, you know, better wages for people in the hospitality industry in the city of Napa, but we don't. So I think it takes, um, you know, a certain degree of leadership and um, a willingness to take a risk. I, and I don't think you're risking anything. It's the city of Napa. People want to be here. Developers want to be here. Uh, they're coming. They're, they're not going to go away because you ask them to pay a decent wage to the people that, that, that they employ. Um, so, you know, I, that's, that is kinds of, those kinds of things are disappointing to me, but, um, you know, there is some movement here and there and, and it's, it's starting to happen, but it's slow and, uh, we don't really have time to, to kind of wait around. <laughs> it, it's interesting. I mean, very few of these issues, I mean, you talked about the, the nexus between them all with respect to the community before, but very few of these issues, particularly with regard to housing, the old Sonoma Road project being the exception, really are, are things that the County Planning Commission is even dealing yeah. with at this no, point. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it, it's really true. Um, and I think, as I said, I just, you know, it, the plan, the County planning is just more where I feel more comfortable, I guess, and where I feel my experience and my interest is, even though I am, of course, very interested in what happens in cities. And, um, you know, I think I'm interested in all of it. But I think for me, it was just um, something I was interested in and felt like I had the experience I could offer, um, that that was a better match for me. This issue of of, of poverty in the community, do you sense, and and put your your coat pat back on for Mm -hmm. a minute, my, my sense is that this is an issue that is bubbling up everywhere right mm-hmm. now, here in this community and other neighboring communities as well, in a way that we haven't heard about before. Yeah, it is. Um, people are struggling. Um, you know, I think it's close to 40% now of our community that lives below the self-sufficiency standard. So um, many, many people don't know how they're going to make ends meet every month. Um I mean, I think many of us enjoy a very uh, 
comfortable lifestyle here, but many people don't. And, uh, you know, I understand that that's not comfortable for people to look at, but it's reality. And I think it is what we need to be looking at. And I think as um, community leaders, it's, it's what we have to look at and what, what we have to, we have to come up with solutions and we need to look for ways to assure that people have their basic needs met. Um, you know, I think, um, I have to go back to just talking about the living wage issue. Um, uh, I think when we were debating, uh, raising the minimum wage last year, Mm -hmm. I think it was before the state, um, made a move, uh, there was an economist who spoke at the board of supervisors and said that a living wage was a tax on business. And I, I I thought that that was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard that labor is a cost of doing business. It's not a tax. It's, it's the cost of doing business. And for most companies, labor is their largest cost. Um, and you know, in reality, if businesses don't pay a living wage, then who pays the taxpayer? We pay, we pay because we support programs that then make up the difference between what people make and what they need. So as taxpayers, we're footing the bill for businesses. And I don't think that's right. I think business should pay a living wage so that people can, you know, just make ends meet on their job and not have to work three minimum wage jobs to, (laughs) you know, to, to make their, you know, to take care of their families and uh, just have a decent way of life. Um, So I think that sometimes people have that a little bit backwards. Um, You know, it's in all of our best interests for people to um, succeed and thrive here. Um, It's not good for the overall economic or any other health of the community for people to be poor. Talk about first five. Okay, first five. Um, Well, first five uh, has been around for a long time. Um, It started with the uh, Proposition 10 tobacco tax at the state level, and that is the way that it's funded throughout the 58 counties in California. And it's really uh, charged with setting up uh, early childhood systems within each community. Um, And people have, you know, sort of taken that charge and uh, done that to different different extents throughout the uh, throughout California. Uh, First five in Napa has supported a lot of really wonderful programming for early childhood. Um, I think that uh, now the commission is really trying to take a look at what kind of system have we set up and what do we what do we need to do to assure that um, all kids get what they need in early childhood to be successful. So it means a whole lot more than preschool. You know, I think there are a lot of people who think first five is all about preschool or first five is all about, um, you know, childcare. And that's not really the case. I mean, those are, those are definitely important components to making sure that a child is ready for school, but children also have to have enough to eat um, and not be in school um, hungry because they can't concentrate or learn when they're hungry. Uh, they have to be in safe environments and not be experiencing traumatic events in their childhood. Uh, we know that that changes their brain development and they can't learn if, uh, if they do not develop in a way that um, allows them to access that, that 
uh, frontal cortex and they're, they're kind of always in their fight fight or flight mode, you know, they can't learn. So there are so many factors that affect whether or not kids will be able to learn and be successful in school and successful in life. So we need to be addressing everything and we need to kind of look at it as a whole system and make sure that all the players are at the table, that everyone um, is working together and that we're not just um, funding great programs, but that we are actually um, assuring that, you know, we have the policies in place that, um, that allow children to, to really reach their potential. And that includes, um, supporting their parents because you really can't support young children without making sure that their parents have what Mm -hmm. they need. Yeah. Now you, you mentioned that, and I think most people know most of the funding from that comes from the state. How is the, how does it interface with the local community? And, and what are the programs that are specific or indigenous to Napa with First Five? Okay, so um, there are some programs that kind of originate at the state. And so, uh, for example, one of the programs that we're engaged in now is called uh, what we have named Quality Counts. And it's a statewide initiative around um, assuring that the early care and early uh, learning system is of high quality. Right. So in some in some communities, it's about rating um, child care centers and, and preschool centers. Um, in our community, it hasn't gotten to the rating system yet, but we are doing a lot of uh, quality improvement. So actually working directly with providers to make sure that those environments are of the highest possible quality. So training people, coaching people. Um, giving them resources, connecting them so that um, the quality is very is very high. So that's kind of a statewide initiative that has right. come down. But in other cases, uh, we have supported locally um, it, programs that support early childhood, like community resources for children mm-hmm. and helping people access um, access care. Um, at COPE, uh, we receive funding for early home visitation um, at uh Child Start, uh, Early Head Start is supported uh, somewhat by, and and special programs for that are supported uh, by local first $5. The dental van through Queen of the Valley Hospital that goes out to preschools and makes sure that kids have good oral health because that's a major, major issue for kids um, and whether they're able to concentrate and learn in school is whether they have dental issues. Um, so there's there's a myriad of different uh, programs that are supported locally. Um, many of those people know about and and, and they use and, and see every day um, and may or may not know that First Five is supporting them. And finally, how tough was the transition from COPE to First Five? Um, it really wasn't that tough, to be honest. It, I get to work with a lot of the same people. Mm-hmm. Um, the people on the commission are all people that I um, have worked with for many years and I have great relationships with. So that's great. And I'm, I'm really excited to work with them. Um, you know, the staff is great at First Five. It's a lot smaller than my staff at, at COPE, but, but, you know, that's fine. That's okay. Um, <laughs> it's always I, you know, I, I get to, s- I still see p- people at meetings and I still feel like, Although I'm not in the direct service mode, I'm still, you know, in the early childhood um, space and, you know, working on behalf of families and kids. And, you know, that's what I love to do. And I'm still there. And and so it, it feels pretty good at this point. But this is my third week. So I, I don't know. I might feel differently. I mean, I might start to notice the difference more as we go along. But so far, so good. Well, Joel Gallagher, thanks so much for coming in. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. You're listening to NapperBroadcasting.com.